0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Protein's Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny, And I'm Giacomo. And this is our 48th episode.
1: Getting closer to the big five. Oh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about like our whole atmosphere has changed. We usually record in your office.
0: Yeah, today we decided to record in the kitchen, cause this is where we, there's two places we usually like have really good conversations, one at the dining room table and two in the car. And we've actually talked about recording some of our long drive conversations about fitness and the fitness industry. Cause I honest to God, those are the best conversations that we have, but the sound quality would be such garbage in the car. But I don't know. I don't think there's a way we can recreate those magical moments for you. But a lot of these podcasts are born of those conversations. So, yeah, we just figured we'd move out here. If you hear a lot of clickety clack in the background, that would be any of our four four-legged furry friends walking around.
1: So, yeah, I don't know, Danny. All I hear is blah blah blah. We should go on a road trip. It's been a while.
0: But we travel enough. We don't need any any uh, road trips. Eh, fair enough. So right now should be the middle of March, I believe. Yeah, we're going to be getting home from the cruise right now. So hopefully we're like tanned and happy and and all went well there. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that uh, in a later podcast. Maybe we'll even tack a little bit on here. We'll see. But if it's anything like last year, what a hell of a trip that is going to be.
1: Yeah, if nothing else for like the sunshine alone, I don't know. Like I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person, but even I start to feel it around this time of the year from the lack of sunlight and just being indoors all the time because it's so cold outside, you know. But um, but yeah, I'm very much so looking forward to this cruise. I mean, we're, I mean not just a cruise. We're going to Disney also.
0: We're going to <laughs> Disney, Disneyland. Being in a wedding and then going straight onto the cruise.
1: It's gonna be wild. Like we'll be gone for like half the month in March. So anyway. What are we talking about today? Lifting myths. This one in particular for me, like personally, I'm kind of excited about it. Cause I don't know. I mean, I I come from the old school. Like I started lifting, maybe I haven't been lifting consistently this whole time, but I started lifting what, geez, I can't even count 25 years ago. Holy crap. I'm like ancient, Danny. But anyway, my point here is that so much of this stuff was just like bred from the 80s and the 90s and like just that gym culture. And a lot of it is still there today, you know? Um, gee, I mean, I, I, let's just dig right into it. One, One of my favorites, and I distinctly remember this as a kid in high school you know, everyone was always like, well, you you know, you can only train one body part a day because this body part takes X amount of days to recover. And so you have to let your muscles fully recover before you train again. And even to this day, you know, I hear people say like, well, I'm only going to train my chest once a week, and I'm only going to train my arms once a week, because if I allow my muscles a chance to fully recover, they're going to grow as much as possible. But really, when you think about this, it's, it's a means to an end in regards to how much volume you can get in for the week, right? So, I mean, yes, there's also a limit to how much volume you should get in for the week for each body part. And obviously, this will change over time as you become more advanced with your lifting. Bottom line is to limit yourself to only lifting one time per week per body part. It's just, It just doesn't make sense.
0: I don't even think it's so much though. you have to only lift a body part one time per week. As much as I hear people say, well, I can't train my legs again because they're still sore. Um, and I think that we have this idea, this is another lifting myth, it kind of builds on top of yours though, that, um, that soreness is indicative of anything except soreness. So a lot of people think like, oh, I'm sore, so I'm not recovered. Um, and that is probably not true, or I'm not sore, so I didn't get a good workout. And that's definitely not true but soreness isn't really indicative that you can or can't train a body part again. Now there's a difference between like a little sore and I can barely walk sore. If it's an, I can barely walk sore, then you're probably not recovered yet and you probably shouldn't necessarily train a body part again. But if you're like a little bit sore and it's time to train that body part again, that's totally okay. And like Giacomo said, the number of times that you train your body Really just has to do with how much total volume your goal is to get in for the week and how you decide to split that up So for some people, you know, maybe training their body a certain body part hard one time a week makes sense for them in that moment That doesn't mean that that's like the be-all end-all Eventually they could take that same let's say intense leg day and split it up into two shorter leg days, but you're able to get more work done on each day, as opposed to if you cram all of it onto one day, maybe your first few exercises are super strong, but by the end of the workout, you're just like hobbling through because those body parts are spent. But if you take that same workout and split it up into two days, you're able to give 100% to both days, thus getting more quality volume in over the week. And hitting your legs twice instead of once, which it stands to reason, would result in more muscle gains in that body part.
1: I think another thing to consider is what is your age as a lifter? How many years have you been lifting? And, you know, it would stand to reason that the more you do something, the more efficient your body becomes at whatever it is that you're doing. You know, the more adaptable you become and the faster you recover from whatever it is that you do. So when it comes to lifting, right, like say you've been training for three years, maybe the first couple weeks you stepped into the gym, you hit your legs, you were sore the entire week, right? Six months later, you hit your legs, you're sore for like two, three days. Three years later, you hit your legs and maybe you're only sore for 24 hours. And forget about going off a feel, like just facts, like your muscles are going to recover faster from workouts the longer you lift. So you can actually stimulate your muscles to grow by training them more frequently. Now, once again, this isn't like, you know, I I played the frequency card. Don't be like, oh, well, Giacomo said, I can train my muscles more often. I'm just gonna train my legs five times a week. Like, no, there's a limit to everything. Just like there's a limit to how much how many repetitions you can get in for a week for a body part. There's a limit to how often you can train it. And what that sweet spot is for everyone, depending on how long they're lifting, uh, their genetics, their stress levels, etc., cetera, et cetera. There's a lot to take into account. But I guess my point here is that you can play around with frequency. And the longer you're training, I think the more flexibility there is to play around with frequency.
0: As a listener of this podcast, you're probably very interested in the science and the why behind why we do things in the gym and with nutrition the way that we do. And we really wanted to take a minute to recommend to you folks a publication called MASS, which stands for Monthly Applications in Strength Sport. It is the leaders in the industry sifting through thousands of studies to handpick the most relevant information for lifters. And they are not just looking at one study at a time, but looking at hundreds of studies all together in meta-analysis, which is when you study all the studies to tell us basically what the science says about various aspects of lifting, lifting, nutrition, training, recovery, and sleep. So if you're tired of wasting time reading a dozen of conflicting opinions about every facet of training and nutrition, but you don't have 40 free hours a month to keep up with the research for yourself and you're serious about learning how to optimize your training, nutrition and recovery practices for the best results, mass is the best investment that you can make. So it is one of my personal secret weapons of keeping up with the industry. If it's something you would like to check out, you can swipe down on this podcast if you're listening on iTunes and click episode notes and there's there's a link right there to check it out or you can go to bit.ly/vpmass to check out monthly applications in strength sport. Yeah, I think just to be clear like when you think of the lifting routines of the 70s, 80s even 90s there was chest day and back day and shoulder day and leg day. And as a evidence-based fitness community, we've definitely moved away from that. But on the flip side, there are also people that think that it's optimal. You know, if, if one time per week is bad, then what must be optimal is as much frequency as possible. I'll just hit my full body five days a week. And... I'm not, there are people that can do this and have like worked up to this and it makes sense for them, but that does not mean that it is optimal. And I just, I think that's a really important thing to take away from that. Like I know at one point you had worked up to a place where you were bench pressing every time you went to the gym.
1: Pretty much. Yeah.
0: But to take somebody who hadn't worked up to that and had them just start doing that would be a mistake. It would actually be detrimental to their progress, possibly put them at a higher risk for injury. And the answer is not always just add more, add more, add more. Sometimes the answer is to back off.
1: Yeah, and it depends on where you're at too. Like sometimes doing something more frequently helps you become better at the skill itself, but not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily help your strength. Or help your muscles grow in size. You just become more skillful at that movement. So, like, there's there's ways to you know to use frequency to your advantage, but also it can be detrimental. And but like Danny's saying, like it can it can totally screw with your recovery too, and actually cause injury if uh, if it's overused.
0: Yeah. So I guess that's a separate myth that's not even on our list. Just the just the myth that if you're stuck with something like stuck with a one rep max or stuck with a certain muscle, not growing enough, that the answer is, well, this isn't working. I have to do more, more volume, more intensity, more frequency, more accessory works. I have to do more because I'm stuck. And I would say that that is only correct, maybe 50% of the time. And the other 50% of the time, it's like we need to either scale back, focus less on this, more on this, or just restructure the training entirely. But Oftentimes, the answer is not, I'm stuck, let's just do more. And there's this saying, and I absolutely love it, and I think about it all the time, actually. And I don't know where it came from, but it's, when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail. And I think that this is definitely true of fitness and nutrition. Like, if you only know one way to do things, and that's the only thing that you can apply to any problem that you have you're not going to get very far.
1: I do have one request, though. Can we keep International Chess Day on Monday? Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's the next one? Almost fell over there. Uh, So Giacomo had this one on his list, and it's basically myths about training abs and your core. Go ahead, explain explain more about this.
1: I mean, there's so much to pick apart here. I think people are obsessed with the six-pack, And naturally they think to themselves, well, if I want the six pack, I got to keep training my abs. And I guess like the one part of this that I really want to dig into is how people become so obsessed with training abs that they wind up overdeveloping their core. And then eventually they move away from it thinking to themselves, well, I can't train abs because I'm going to have a thick waist.
0: Well... Man, this is such a tough one, because I think the myth that I thought you were going to say is things like deadlifts make your core too thick. Squatting makes your core too thick. Um, I, I don't personally find that to be true, actually, at all. I don't think any of the compound lifts make your core too thick, from what I have seen. What I think does make your core too thick, because you can train your core to be too thick, like... Your ab muscles are muscles just like any other muscles. They don't get tighter. You know, that's not a thing. Muscles grow or they shrink. <laughs> they don't get tighter. So if you're training them and they're getting stronger, they are growing. So while yes, when you're squatting, deadlifting, overhead pressing, rowing, uh, your abs have the ability to grow and therefore get thicker, it's gonna be in proportion to all the other muscles growing as well. Your glutes, your hamstrings, your lats, your delts. So Your overall waist measurement might be a tiny bit bigger, but your other measurements should be so much bigger that that V taper, that X frame, stays intact. But there are ab-specific exercises that people go nuts doing. Side note, (laughs) side bends holding a plate is, in my opinion arguably the worst exercise that any physique competitor could ever do. Why? Why would you want to specifically grow your obliques? Why? Like I'm not saying having strong obliques is not good, but again, in proportion to all other all other body parts, side bends with a dumbbell or with a plate, that is oblique hypertrophy work.
1: That is literally just making your core bigger. Well, you're getting your QLT going on in that too.
0: Yeah, but you get your QLT... You're getting your whole core, but you're specifically building up the muscles in the sides of your abs, which is going to give you less of a waist. Likewise, um, excessive amounts of cable crunches or Russian twists... um, Again, excessive amounts will build up your core. And what I find is that women especially, especially, especially women, train the ever-loving crap out of their core with like a million different ab exercises. And then once we get them like really lean for a competition, they're all core. They
1: have built their waists to be too thick. Stop. That is where I'm going with this. It's not... In my opinion, and we may butt heads a little bit here, and I think we kind of are. In my opinion, it's not the core training itself that is a problem. It's the fact that your athletes spend too much time training their core and not enough time training the rest of their body parts. Because your core, in relation to the rest of your body, like those muscles are not enormous. Like Yeah, they may change a little bit, and this may make could potentially make some sort of a little bit of difference in your shape on stage. But in reality, like if you're dedicating enough time to training your limbs, for example, and the rest of your damned body, instead of just being a core maniac, you're going to have a relatively proportionate frame. You're going to have a relatively aesthetic look from head to toe. You're going to have that X frame. You're going to be developing. But when you stay obsessed with training your abs only... And your core is distended because the other muscles haven't grown in, in proportion. That's when it becomes problematic, I think, in regards to the physique.
0: I think we're 100% in agreement here.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're
0: 100% in agreement. Training your core is fine. But, you know, a lot of people will do an ab finisher every day. Are you doing a rear delt finisher every day? No, you're not. For some reason, people just think training your core to death is an okay thing to do. And what it results in is a very unbalanced physique. Like, hell yeah, you might have the core stability of a Greek god. That's wonderful. But if your goal is aesthetics and you want... A small but strong waist, you have to train it in proportion to everything else. Like Giacomo said, the irony is that a lot of people, when they get down to a low body fat percentage, they are so pissed off that their abdomen is much larger than they expected it to be. What do they want to do? I just need to train my core more. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) you don't. We, we peeled off the layer. We peeled off the layer of body fat with a diet. This is what you look like as a lean person. The answer is probably to chill the F out on training your core and to start eating enough and training everything else around it
1: more. Step away from the captain's chair. <laughs> you know, that being said, I, I definitely don't want to like instill the mindset that you shouldn't be training your core because then we have the opposite, I think, also... In the the fitness world where people brag about never training their abs and they just want to train everything else. And I, I honestly think that's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I think it has to be somewhere in the middle. But you need to treat it like any other body part where, you know, maybe you hit your shoulders twice a week. Okay, so maybe you should hit your abs like twice a week with a couple of exercises. You know, but I mean, granted, it's important to know that there is a ton of crossover. Anytime you're overhead pressing or squatting or deadlifting, you are training your core. So when people say, I never train my core, what they mean is they never do crunches. But I do think that some sort of crunching or leg raises or specific core training, I do think that it enhances the physique, but it needs to be applied intelligently to get the shape that a lot of people are after. All right, I have a huge myth here. Oh yeah? Huge. And- uh, Let's hear it. I see it, I hear it in lots of different forms, but it all comes down to the same thing, and that is this idea of muscle confusion uh, that you need to, so I think P90X is what made this popular. And I am not knocking on P90X because I actually think it's a great program. Uh, but this idea that you need to do something different for your muscles all the time because they adapt to it and you need to keep giving them new stimulus to confuse them into growing is bullshit. And although I don't hear people say, oh, I need muscle confusion like I did 15 years ago, I do still hear a lot, I need to change it up because my muscles are getting used to it, meaning their program.
1: Okay. Well, we can change some stuff up. Like uh, exercise selection probably should stay a lot more constant than people realize. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But sets and rep ranges, I think that can vary a little more regularly, like every couple of months, depending, you know? Uh, This constant need for variety, like, or someone just loses interest in their training... There is some truth to this. I mean, if you're completely disinterested in your training, then you're just not gonna be working hard, but there should be an element of discipline to what you do if you really wanna make some progress. And like anything else, practice makes perfect. And this includes the movement patterns in the gym that you want to master. The more that you repeat exercises in similar rep ranges for periods of time as well, the better you're going to become at them and the better your muscles are going to grow as a result.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it does come down to when people say, I want to change it up because my muscles are getting used to it really for a lot of people, what they, what they are really feeling is bored. And I totally get that because there's, Plenty of times where I'm like, boy, I really, really don't feel like going and doing this particular exercise today because I'm bored with it. But unfortunately, it doesn't matter. Every time you change up a major movement, let's say you change up your, what's a good example? Let's say you you don't feel like barbell back squatting today. Today, you feel like hack squatting. Well, if you've been barbell back squatting for eight weeks and then you go and you hack squat, it's going to take a couple of at least a handful of sessions of hack squatting for you to get really neurologically adapted to that movement again and get good at it. So the amount of weight that you're able to do the first time you hack squat is is going to and likely should pale in comparison to what you can do three weeks from now. Not because you're not as strong, like you've gained that much strength in three weeks, but because you've gained that much neuromuscular adaptation to the movement that you can then safely load more weight on it. But if you're changing stuff up every few weeks or even every month, in my opinion, then you are really sliding yourself Weeks and weeks and weeks of progress every time you change a major movement. So with my clients, uh, usually there is a little bit of a tough love period for people when they're a month into a program, they're like, hey, when are we gonna change it up? And I'm like, it's gonna be a minute actually. Uh, and that's because we, th- this, we need to see results happening here. And in order to see results happening, like Giacomo said, you have to be disciplined enough to do the boring thing. And that is not sexy to a lot of people. They want a different workout every single day to keep them interested. And for people who really do need variety, I think the place to play with variety is stuff that is really either very lightweight or single joint movements. So, you know, there is still some neuromuscular adaptation that takes place with like a dumbbell bicep curl versus a rope hammer curl, but it's very, very different than a huge compound movement like a pendlay row versus a one-arm dumbbell row. That has a lot more time in between when you're going to be adapted to it than... A face pull versus a reverse pec deck. So you can play with some of the lighter weight accessories more frequently. But those major compound movements, find the ones that work for you. Stick with them. I would say for at least eight weeks at a clip. At the very, very least, eight weeks at a clip before you go ahead and make a change.
1: Oh, for sure. And spoiler alert, the longer you've been lifting, the more important it is to stick with those staple movements that work for your body or that you're choosing to focus on. So for example, at this point, at this stage in the game, I've been training for around seven years consistently and there are some exercises that I've intentionally kept the same for multiple years. Mm. I mean like literally two, three years of practicing the same exercise for the same body part, like the same row or the same pull down, for example, because I really want my back to grow so yeah the longer you're at it the less room the even less room there is for variety in the beginning stages I would say like the first six months especially I think you can get away with switching stuff up a little more often because you're still just learning the actual movements
0: and you still have to like find the right exercises that fit you like a glove
1: yeah so don't be afraid to play around and experiment you know, I'd say like your first six months and even like your first year in of training but then after that Start to really find out what worked for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important thing to to put out there. Like, (laughs) I agree. In the first six months to a year, you could go in the gym and do something different every single day and make progress. So I think for brand new lifters, it's okay to find the fun, but eventually your progress is going to peter out. And this is where it's going to become more important to really buckle down into a system and get used to it being a little bit boring, which I think is where P90X thrived is because a lot of the people doing it were like trying to get into fitness or get back into fitness and it kept them interested. And I do think that's important in the beginning. But as you fall in love with lifting, you have to fall in love with the boring thing.
1: This one is for all of our female lifters. This has changed over time, but I think the myth is still very much so alive. That if you lift weights, you're going to be bulky and you're just going to be big and overly muscular and manly looking and all of that jazz. And it's just, excuse my French, it's a crock of shit. Like, way back in the day, I think it was deeply ingrained in the gym culture and and thankfully it is changing now. But, you know, the... And the thing I've heard, you know, even like way back in the day, it's just been like deeply ingrained still in gym culture is like women wanting to look toned. And if they lift weights, they won't look toned. They'll look muscular. And I've, I've explained this over and over again. I was like, if you want to look toned per se, let's just go with that word. Right. Even though I don't like it at all. And I'm sure you probably really dislike, strongly dislike that word, but I'm, I'm seeing you're like, eager to chime in over here, but basically just going, even going on the look of saying you want to look toned, what you mean is that you want to be lean with muscle. And so the thought of not lifting weights and just trying to be a smaller person, you're going to wind up just looking like a smaller person. You're not going to have the aesthetics that you're, you're looking for. You're not gonna have the physique you're looking for. The lean muscle is what you build when you lift weights.
0: Yeah, so I do hate the word toned. I mean, I absolutely hate the word toned, but um, I'm not out here trying to police every word that people say. And when someone says, I want to look toned, I know what they mean. Um, So I try to just bite my tongue when I hear it, work with them where they are. But I think when people say toned, they don't always know what they mean. They know the look, but they don't know what it is that achieves that look. And it's exactly what Giacomo just said. Um, but as for the lifting makes women bulky, like, man, I wish like (laughs) I'm working really, really hard to get a, to get bulky and manly looking over here. And it, it does not happen easily. And I think that's a whole other, but connected lifting myth is just that lifting will automatically make you bulky period. Uh, Women or man like you just start lifting and suddenly you have muscles and it doesn't work that way You have to be eating to support your goal So if you're eating a certain number of calories and then you go start lifting weights You'll make you'll build a little bit of muscle But unless you continue to eat in a caloric surplus your muscle gains are going to stop you might still get stronger but you won't get bigger so Even under optimal conditions, which I like to think that I am putting myself in an optimal condition more often than not, at best, at the absolute best, I could maybe hope to put on three pounds of muscle in a year. And at this point in my life, maybe once upon a time, I could gain five pounds of muscle in a year without paying too, too much attention when I was newer. But still, that's five pounds of muscle. And if you essentially build five pounds of muscle and burn five pounds of fat, your weight is gonna be the same, but aesthetically, physically, you're gonna take up less space, not more. And typically that is a look that people are after when they say, I want to be toned. They want to have more muscle than they currently have and less fat than they currently have. And lifting weights is obviously the way to make that happen, lifting weights and paying attention to your diet that's that's how you do that it's not running
1: yep, and even looks aside, I mean, why would anyone not want to have strong, healthy bones and muscle like the older we get, we just start losing muscle that's just what happens that's the process of aging and so it w- you know you would want to build more muscle than you lose. And then eventually, like, just maintain a, a strong, healthy body. You want to be physically healthy for as long as you can, because as you get older and older, you just start to naturally lose muscle.
0: Well, that actually leads us to another myth, which is that lifting is bad for your joints. That's crazy. That's not only is that a myth, as in it's not true, but actually, when properly executed. Lifting is outstanding for your joints, for your bones, and for your overall quality of life up into old age.
1: I mean, I'm trying to think about the reasons, like, where was this myth birthed from? I mean, obviously, moving in properly on compound movements, you know, I think that is part of it. The other thing I think that may come into play over here is that when we don't when we overwork our body like put it this way our muscles recover faster than our connective tissue and if we don't allow our connective tissue to recover by eventually like just because our muscles can han- handle the workouts doesn't mean our connective tissue can and if we don't give our connective tissue a chance to recover it becomes strained so i think it's a matter of simply being aware of when the connective tissue needs to recover even though our muscles can handle Another workout and I think that may have been that may have something to do with where this myth has come from So
0: here's I mean, I think It makes a lot of sense how this myth was born is that if you don't know how to move your body weight properly, like can you body weight squat with proper mechanics? Can you? um, Deadlift can you pick something heavy up off the floor at your house properly and safely If the answer is no, and then you go to a gym and start loading those same movements you're going to screw yourself up. So if you can't squat your body weight and then you throw a heavy barbell on your back and start trying to do the same thing without learning the fundamentals of how to move, you're going to hurt yourself. And we're very lucky that in 2019, there's information, there's kind of too much information actually, but there's so much information at our fingertips on how to move properly that maybe didn't exist in the 70s, 80s, 90s, You know, you couldn't just walk into any gym back then. Gyms were much less common than they are now. Nowadays, almost everybody has a gym membership. Back then, it was almost unheard of to have a gym membership. So there were not the abundance of personal trainers and physical therapists around that there are today. So if you said squat to somebody back then, they would squat and it could be completely wrong, but they would just keep going and add weight to it. And if you do that, then you're putting your joints under a lot of unnecessary and unsafe stress. Couple that with the fact that we had people like Arnold Schwarzenegger who were lifting tons and tons of weight, which was giving you know young guys and gals this idea that in order to build muscle, they also had to lift tons and tons of weight. So now you have bad movement patterns, you're loading it and then you're loading it maybe more than you actually should in the first place. And I imagine injuries were a plenty. And even today in 2019, there's, I mean, you you can still easily walk into a gym and find somebody doing something so badly that you're like, that person's going to break their back. That doesn't mean that lifting is bad for your joints or your bones. It means that improperly loading and moving your body is very bad for your joints and your bones.
1: Not the best, what people used to do, you you don't see much of this anymore, but people would literally just slap a belt on, like a Velcro belt around their waist and they'd be like, all right, now I can move like an idiot. I don't have to focus on how I'm moving because I have this magical belt around me and that's going to protect me from everything, which is like so ridiculous because that's not even what a belt is is intended for and people would literally just walk around with belts Throughout their entire gym session. And even back then, I'm like, what, are you, what is happening right now? What are you doing? I think it's funny that you're old enough to remember this. Or even worse, <laughs> the people who wore belts, wait a minute, the other gym members would be like, that person's cheating. They shouldn't be wearing a belt. I'm like, you're both wrong. God, you're killing me.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh,
1: uh,
0: but that said, all of that said, if you first learn how to master your own body without weight, Learn how to master your own body movements with before you start loading weight onto it. And then when you learn how to lift, take it freaking seriously. Learn how to lift properly with a full range of motion, with safe back, good core bracing, things like that. And what this research shows is that people who do regularly weight train, one, have significantly better bone density because our bones... Uh, are maintained. So you start losing bone mineral, you start losing minerals from your bones after like 35, I think. Um, but you keep more of it from weight bearing exercises. Hello, like lifting. But other than that, they find that people who weight train regularly actually have better joints, have better movement in day-to-day life. So picking up your kids, putting away your groceries, and they just have a better quality of life into old age. So Weight training is outstanding for your body and for your life when done properly.
1: We love teaching just as much as we love writing customized programs for vegans who are into fitness. With our vegan fat loss course, you get the benefit of both. Not only do you get custom macros and also a workout plan, we explain the whys and hows of fat loss throughout our entire self-guided 12-week course you will have monthly check-ins throughout the plan so that we can update and adjust your macros if needed to make sure you get the results you're looking for. You'll receive exclusive access to our VIP area on veganproteins.com where you'll have access to our private menu planner and other tools. With a combination of self-guided curriculum, hands-on monthly updates, and access to our private coaching community, you'll be set up for success from the moment you sign up. If your goal is to learn all about how to efficiently lose fat on a vegan diet and apply it to your lifestyle, then this is the course for you. If you're interested in learning more about and signing up for our 12-week vegan fat loss course, you can visit veganproteins.com or use the link in our show notes. Or you can submit a coaching inquiry by hitting the coaching tab on veganproteins.com. Reach out anytime as we always look forward to hearing from you. So two more things. People do think squatting is bad for your knees.
0: And uh, yes, people do think squatting is bad for your knees, and they think deadlifting is bad for your back. And these are both sort of branches of that same weightlifting is bad for your joints, only if you're doing it improperly. So squatting can absolutely be bad for your knees. If you have more weight on your body than you can handle, then whatever the weakest body part is for most people, that's going to be somewhere in the glute, maybe glute medius area. Your knees are going to cave in because it's too much weight for that weakest body part. That's going to pull on your IT band or what have you and cause knee pain. It's not squatting. It's squatting more than you can handle. Likewise, with deadlifts, you should only be deadlifting an amount you can deadlift with proper form. If you start deadlifting so much weight that you can't maintain a proper form, yeah, that's going to be bad for your back over the long term for 90% of people. Um, but what I see is a lot of people who cannot deadlift, they cannot do the movement without with a PVC pipe. They can't do the movement properly with just a PVC pipe. And then they're going and loading up what they think is the minimum of deadlifting, 135. And they just start going with this, like, turtle back. And they're getting stronger in this bad position. But eventually that bad position is going to give out. So, again, it all comes down to proper form and really making sure that you learn it and maintain it. Respect the form.
1: This one's been around for a while also, actually. When you stop lifting, your muscle's just going to turn into fat. And... Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around this and think about why someone would think that. I think the myth was really birthed from, you know, when someone stops lifting, but they're still eating as much as they were eating when they were lifting, The they're, they're going to wind up, you know, their muscles will atrophy and they'll gain body fat. They'll be the same size, essentially, and they'll look different. You know, like you might be the same body weight, per se, but now you're thinking, like, no, you can't turn... Like, muscle's always going to be muscle. Body fat's always going to be body fat. And you can't, like, change... You can't turn one into the other. That's, like... That's a ridiculous statement.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, it, for somebody who doesn't know, I could... Like you said, I can totally see why somebody would think that's what's happening. Because that, from the outside, is kind of what it looks like is happening. So, let's say you're weight training five times a week... You're eating 2,000 calories a day, and you've built a fair amount of muscle eating 2,000 calories a day, weight training five days a week. So let's say your workouts are burning like 300 calories a day, right? Now you, for some reason, have to stop training, but you keep eating 2,000 calories a day. Well, if we don't give our muscles the stimulus we need to keep them around, which is the weight training, you're going to start losing muscle. Now, if you're still eating 2,000 calories a day, but you're no longer burning that 300 calories a day in your workout, then you are now eating an excess of 300 calories a day. And as we know, we put on a pound of body fat by eating approximately 3,500 calories over maintenance. So every 13 days, no, 12 days, yeah, every 12 days or so, you would be gaining a pound of body fat by continuing to eat in that 2,000 calorie uh, surplus or that 2,000 calories per day. Um, Likewise, you cannot turn fat into muscle. So I hear that one too. A lot of people are like, oh, I just need to turn this to muscle. And unfortunately, it doesn't really work like that. Now, if somebody is still in a place where they're thinking they can turn body fat into muscle or muscle into body fat, they're probably new enough that they could probably make some pretty sweet body composition changes, which will seem very much like they are turning fat into muscle because they will be building muscle and losing body fat at the same time, which, of course, just perpetuates this myth, because then they're like, look, I turned my body fat into muscle, which they didn't. Um, But eventually, again, progress will slow down or stop, and they will likely have to pick whether they want to either continue to build muscle or continue to burn body fat and cut down. Um, But actually turning one type of tissue into another is not possible.
1: I mean, I guess I'm thinking about this a little more. And, you know, muscle does contour the body as well. So I think that's something to consider. So you grow your muscles, right? And then whatever the body fat surrounding your muscles looks more aesthetic because the muscles are expanding your body to look a certain way physique wise. So I think that's something important to consider also is that when you have more muscle on your frame, you just, overall, your aesthetics improve. Even with the body fat that you have, it, it just sort of shapes it.
0: All right. So the next myth, I, I, I guess myth is a little bit loose, but it, it's definitely not as black and white as a lot of people think it is, is this idea that there are rep ranges for power, rep range for strength, and a rep range for hypertrophy and a rep range for muscular endurance and that they are completely exclusive to
1: one another. Not true at all. I think that no matter what your goal is, like even if you want to be a powerlifter, you should still find times to train above the 10 rep range for example, like well above the five rep range. And inversely, say if you're like you're an endurance athlete, I think you should still find times to be training in like a low low three to five rep range and a bodybuilder should be same thing like training in all kinds of rep ranges and the reason being is this you want to stimulate your muscles in like you want to be stimulating your muscles in every possible way you know when you train in a very low rep range for example it, it is very very demanding um, not just on your muscles, but also neurologically. And like these things are all connected. You know, you train your nervous system to respond and fire off in a certain way. Your muscles are going to need to adapt and grow to be able to handle that next time. Um, and you're also recruiting many muscle fibers when you train in a low rep range. Now that is is not going to be a bad thing for hypertrophy. Think about it. You, so let's say you're doing like a set of three or a set of five and literally you have to recruit all of your muscle fibers just to be able to handle this. You have to be very demanding on your nervous system to be able to handle this. Now why why wouldn't that why wouldn't you need to grow your muscles in order to be able to do that again? You would be able to. Now is it the most efficient way to grow your muscles? Not necessarily, but you should still be doing it. Obviously, you know getting a pump and training in a higher rep range is going to be good for hypertrophy, but that shouldn't be the only way you're training, for example. And say, you know, let's, let's go on this muscle growth is the most important thing for you, right? Because bodybuilding. Um, you still want to be able to have better endurance with your muscles. So training in, say, like a 15 to 20 rep range is going to give you more muscular endurance. So in other words... Training in all kinds of rep ranges make it so that wherever you spend the most of your time training in, like, a specific rep range, you're going to be better at it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I think you kind of nailed it. So when I think about, like, okay, first of all, I think that hypertrophy and strength, most of the listeners of this podcast likely have hypertrophy goals, which is literally building new muscle tissue, and also strength goals but I feel like strength and hypertrophy is a very chicken and egg scenario. Like is it building strength that creates hypertrophy or is it building muscle tissue that makes us stronger? The answer is actually that we don't know exactly, but if I'm looking at a power lifter whose main goal is to get stronger on their one rep max on these three specific lifts. Okay. So based on this myth of power, strength, hypertrophy, rep ranges, We would have them lifting in a four to six rep range every day. That's not practical for most people for the reasons Giacomo said that is too tough on the joints. The joints are not going to recover as well. And also the amount of time that it would take to do, say, 10 sets of four would be astronomical. You would be in the gym for hours uh, as opposed to doing four sets of 10 at a slightly lighter weight, you'd be able to go a lot faster and it would be easier on the joints. And like I said, possibly, uh, the hypertrophy benefits could make you stronger or the strength gains could build muscle tissue, but they, they overlap so much more than a lot of people would care to think. Um, And I think that that's really, really important to know that like you will get stronger lifting in an eight plus rep range and you will build muscle lifting in a sub five rep range. So I feel like we could easily, easily make this into a multi-part episode. We could do lifting myths. We could do nutrition myths. Uh, If you guys have any specific ones you wanna hear us talk about, or even just questions like, hey, is this a myth or is this not? Definitely feel free to let us know because I think uh, without making this a several hour long episode, we're going to stop the myths here and possibly do it in a later episode.
1: Moving on to our Q&A segment of the day. I have one for you, Dan. Let me just mix this up over here. All right. This question is from Simone or Simmy Collins. Hey, Simmy, she wants to know some hair, makeup, and beauty tips, presumably for competing. I would imagine, right?
0: Well, go ahead, Giacomo.
1: <laughs> I mean, I do my makeup every day. I practice, okay. and that's how I become. All, right, go, all God, right, Come on.
0: Uh, this <laughs> is a, this. This maybe would be better suited for a YouTube. Video, Uh, I guess my first tip would be if you don't know how um, to do your hair or makeup or what have you for a competition, you need to hire a professional to do it because if you try to wing it for a competition, you can pretty easily end up looking like a hot mess, especially the makeup because it is so, so over the top on show day. It is not something you would ever wear in real life. And your tan is so much darker than your natural skin color for a lot of people that you're going to have a really hard time matching your foundation to your skin color if you're Caucasian, because it's going to be a color you are not used to. The makeup borders on drag, like it borders on drag makeup. Um, That said, if you do want to learn how to go about doing it, first of all, if this is... I'm... I'm actually kind of surprised that I've gotten this question as many times as I have because I am such a tomboy, but uh, I've gotten it a lot. So maybe I'll make a YouTube video of it. Um, and Natalie Matthews also has a YouTube video of doing her competition makeup already up on YouTube on the fit vegan chef channel. So I would check that out too. Um, but both of us, we do our own makeup for stage and Yeah, I feel like this, this is a tough, this is a really tough one to get into. Uh, But I guess if I could give one tip, it would be practice to death. And if you're not sure if this is for you or not, and you don't want to invest a ton of money in makeup, because I mean, I spent like $300 on makeup for my competition season. That said, it saved me like $75 per competition to not have to get my makeup done. So it ended up saving me several hundred dollars and that makeup will last me for years, but you can use the elf brand E L F it's super, super cheap. And it's, I believe it's all vegan now. And that's what I would get to try it out to see if this is something you're any good at. And if you decide you are good at it, then you can invest in more quality makeup than that.
1: Well, I could chime in here with two things that fall, that I feel fall under the beauty category and this applies to both male and female competitors. Step one, like skin prep. Skin prep is very important and there's nothing worse than a tan that doesn't stick Mm -hmm. or it doesn't look good. And so making sure to exfoliate and to get a sugar scrub and to start doing that at least two weeks out from your show is very important. And I would say follow the instructions of your tanner and to also preferably Get a tanner. Get a professional and the show tanner usually so that they can fix you up day of, touch-ups behind stage.
0: Most show tans now are vegan. So. Yes. Just so you know. Yes. they didn't used to be. And dream tan is not vegan. Just putting that out there. A lot of people don't know that. Most people aren't using dream tan, but enough people are still using dream tan. <sighs>
1: It's, uh, it's the beeswax in the GM tan, by the way. So yeah, so skin prep, uh, definitely you want someone to be able to touch you up day of and the show tanners, their vegan products, almost, all, almost always. I have not run into a circumstance where a show tanner has not had a vegan tanning product and use their instructions because everyone is different. The other thing I wanted to talk about was glue. Uh, posing trunks or posing suit. You, you want to be able to glue your bottoms because the last thing you want is some sort of... Uh, wedgie. Yeah.
0: You don't want to stage wedgie. And it
1: happens, and when it happens, it ain't pretty.
0: Also, don't glue your suit into your ass as a <laughs> tip for me. That happened one time. That was awful.
1: Solid advice, Danny. Just
0: saying. Uh, anyway, if there's enough interest on an actual YouTube video on how I do my show, hair, and makeup, let me know. Um... <laughs> There are extensions in my hair, and there are false eyelashes glued to my face. Uh, So I guess those are little side tips as well. But if there's enough interest, I I will make the video. Just let me know. All right, this is a great question. I don't know who asked it, but what if you find no enjoyment in tracking and just like eating well and lifting?
1: This could be a whole episode, but go ahead, Giacomo. How do we narrow this down? Well... I think portion control is something that you can hone in on without necessarily having to track your food. Um, I think thinking... So the first thing I would say you want to do, and I, and I know this is silly to just continue to, to drive this point home, but you really do want to make sure, if nothing else, that you're getting enough protein for the day. I'm never going to get tired of saying that because it's true. I would say like focus on getting some sort of protein dense food in with most of your meals throughout the day if you enjoy lifting and doing that in and of itself is going to help promote muscle recovery and muscle growth. Um, I'd say that that is of the utmost importance. You don't have to obsess over about it, but have something with protein in it with every meal. That will also keep you satiated to the point where you may, you know, you won't wind up overeating. Um, and then outside of that, I would say like be mindful of the caloric density of the foods that you're eating. You don't necessarily have to start plugging in foods in macroing to understand that vegetables are voluminous and candy is calorically dense. For example, like you know, if you have uh, a plate full of vegetables that you're not going to get a whole lot of calories in it. But if you have a handful of candy or a handful of nuts, there's a lot less of it, but you're going to be getting more calories out of it. So I would say pay attention to the caloric density of food. Start trying to understand what foods pack more calories in a smaller uh, serving um, and what, ca- what foods pack uh, less calories even in larger servings and to also have protein with every meal, and to also focus on getting in nutritionally dense foods. I think if you focus on getting in nutritionally dense foods at the core of what you're doing, you're also gonna wind up feeling more satiated, treating your body better so it's gonna perform better, um, and just taking care of your health.
0: I also, i got to add to this one because I love this question so much. First of all, there's no shame in not enjoying tracking and not wanting to track and just liking to lift. Like, that's totally okay. Uh, What you have to ask yourself is how serious are you about your lifting? Like, is this just a hobby that you do because it relieves stress and feels pretty good? Or is this something you actively want to make progress on? Because this goes way back to the earlier part of the episode. People who just enjoy variety in their workouts no they're not going to make the best progress out there but if it's they're doing it because they like it and they're having fun who cares like that's totally fine same thing applies here Um, but if it is something that you want to make progress on what I would say is one just take a week to see where you're at calorically see where your macros tend to fall so you have a rough idea and then everything Giacomo said after that. So if you do want to keep making progress first, just do like uh, an inventory of where you're currently at with your nutrition. And then you can start paying attention to portion control, start paying attention to hunger and fullness cues, start um, paying attention to little things like, okay, I don't need to plug everything into my fitness pal, but I got to make sure I get three protein feedings in every single day. Um, then that, that works fine and you will still see progress. It might not be as predictable or as linear as somebody who is tracking macros and, and making sure they're increasing in like the exact amounts or blah, 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 but you will still see progress over time. It all adds up.
1: All right, and that concludes another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to stay in touch with us at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels on the social medias. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Stay in touch. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, Let us know what you think of this episode. Once again, my name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny, And we'll talk to you soon.